0: The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? Podcasts, radio, news.
1: Good morning, it's Friday the 9th of February in London. This is the Bloomberg Daybreak Europe podcast, available every morning on Apple, Spotify or wherever you listen. I'm Caroline Hepke,
2: And I'm Stephen Carroll. Coming up today, Putin takes a hard line on Ukraine in his interview with the US right-wing commentator Tucker Carlson.
1: Jeremy Hunt says that he's very attracted by the idea of a British ISA to boost the UK stock market.
2: And a Hail Mary pass, why an NFL succession crisis is forcing teams to let private equity in.
1: Let's start with a roundup of our top stories.
2: Russian President Vladimir Putin says his country hasn't yet achieved its objectives in Ukraine. Putin made the comments in an interview with the right-wing US commentator and former Fox News presenter Tucker Carlson. It's the first time the Russian leader has given an interview to a Western media figure since he ordered the invasion of Ukraine almost two years ago. Here's what he said in the interview with the Tucker Carlson Network. If you really want to
3: stop fighting, you need to stop supplying weapons. It will be over within a few weeks. That's it. And then we can agree on some terms.
2: That's Vladimir Putin speaking via a translator. Tucker Carlson, who conducted the interview, is a prominent Donald Trump supporter and has used his media platform to question US support for Ukraine and to defend the Kremlin. Meanwhile, Ukraine's ambassador to the United States has warned that her country is facing a critical shortage of military hardware, even as she expressed optimism that American lawmakers will overcome their deadlock and deliver aid to her country.
1: President Joe Biden says that there is nothing wrong with his memory. The president was reacting to a US Special Counsel report that described him as an elderly man with a poor memory and chronicled repeated occasions where he struggled to recall basic facts in his life. In an impromptu White House news conference, Biden, who is 81, answered defiantly to questions about his capacity to continue serving as president. My memory is not good. My memory is fine. My memory, take a look at what I've done since i become president. None of you thought I could pass any of the things I got passed. How'd that happen? You know, I guess I just forgot what was going on. Biden's comments came after the report by a Justice Department special counsel found that the president knowingly stored and disclosed classified information kept in unsecured locations at his homes. However, investigators concluded the evidence does not establish Mr. Biden's guilt beyond a reasonable doubt.
2: The U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen says regulators are monitoring risks stemming from non bank mortgage lenders. Speaking to the Senate Banking Committee, Yellen cautioned that a failure of one of them is possible in the case of market strains.
0: Non bank mortgage companies um, lack access to, the, to deposits which banks have. There is concern that in stressful market conditions, um, we could see the failure of one of these.
2: That's the US Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. Non-banks have become a major presence in the mortgage market but rely on short-term funding instruments to fund their operations and have seen rapid growth in recent years. They also aren't allowed to access the Federal Reserve's emergency lending facility known as the discount window.
1: Now, new rules in the United States will force hedge funds to share more details about their investment strategies. Funds with net assets of at least $500 million will be subject to changes, including reporting separately on each component of a fund and revealing how they're investing in crypto. It's an expansion of the current quarterly filing system for big managers. Regulators say it's a better way to keep tabs on risk in the financial system.
2: Here in the UK, the Chancellor is very attracted to the idea of the British ISA, a form of tax-free savings account, as part of efforts to boost UK stocks. Bloomberg's Tiwa Adebayo has the details.
3: Various investors and city grandees have called on Jeremy Hunt to encourage Brits to invest in their own stock market. According to the Chancellor, a British ISA might now be the answer. During a fireside chat with Bloomberg's Francine Lacroix at an industry dinner, Hunt said the scheme could prove effective in ensuring UK companies receive more of the country's capital. Just last year, an open letter published in the Times newspaper signed by key investors pushed for the inclusion of a British ISA in last year's autumn statement. Despite his latest comments, Jeremy Hunt reiterated that the contents of his upcoming March budget haven't been decided. In London, Tiwa Adebayo, Bloomberg Radio.
1: Conservative Party donor Nick Candy is backing a change of government to Labour. The UK property tycoon told Bloomberg that it's probably time for a change in the country's leadership. He also had praise for the opposition leader Keir Starmer.
2: I mean, I'm naturally a Tory. Uh, I voted for Tony Blair when he came into power. I think it's, it's probably time for a change. And I think all this infighting in the Tories, and even now with the talks of Kemi not replacing Rishi by mid-May, British people should know what's going on. And based on that, yeah, it's, maybe it's time for some change. But we still don't know the Labour policies. But do I think Keir Starmer's a decent man with good values and good morals? 100%.
1: Candy's comments come four years after he donated £100,000 to the Conservatives during the Boris Johnson administration. Despite supporting a change in government, the entrepreneur expressed doubts over a potential labour wealth tax and proposed VAT on private school fees.
2: Labour, meanwhile, has slashed a key pledge to spend £28 billion a year on the green transition. Keir Starmer confirmed a new annual spending target of £4.74 billion on the party's so-called green prosperity plan. The opposition leader blamed government spending mistakes for the cuts.
1: We won't reach the £28 billion envisaged. That figure has effectively stood down. The reason for that is because since we announced the £28 billion, the Tories have done terrible damage to our economy, not just the Liz Truss budget, but also now the government briefing that it's going to max out on the government credit card. Reckless. But I have to anticipate the circumstances as they are now, not as I'd wish them to be.
2: That's the Labour leader Keir Starmer. Now responding to the news, Prime Minister Rishi Sunak said the uncertainty surrounding Labour's plan poses a real risk to the country's future. In a moment, we'll bring you more on Vladimir Putin's interview and why private equity is moving into American football. But first, we were discussing recently on the programme this phenomenon of doom spending, how younger people in particular are choosing to spend their savings because they feel like big financial milestones like buying a home or having children are just too impossible and they're too stressed about the state of the world. Yeah. So instead, they're buying themselves nice things. So Sarah Green Carmichael Sarah from Bloomberg Opinion has been writing about this with a warning don't do it, essentially, <laughs> okay. is her message. Now, she particularly points to how more young women are doom spending than younger men and says they can't afford to because women more than men are more likely to say that debt has led them to delay major life milestones like marriage, home ownership and children. Women are also more likely to say their debts are unmanageable. Mm. Her advice is real self-care is setting and sticking to a budget. And while you might not be able to achieve the ideal goals of how much you'd like to be saving, whatever you can save in the short term is going to help in the long term. And whereas you can splurge, and we all want to, but perhaps to scale back the scale of your splurging,
1: yeah, I, listen, I it all get, sounds very
2: sensible, to it, be it, honest. It, it's but it's I,
1: far too sensible, and I totally agree with Sarah. I had not understood this idea of doom spending, but I would probably compare it to skiing, right, which is spending the kids' inheritance. So that's kind of the flip not side. Not actual but, skiing. No, no, not actual <laughs> skiing. But, you know, the other... Which, so that was a thing for a while, wasn't it? The sort of, yeah. I don't know, over 50s, over 60s doing that. Now it's younger people. I mean, like, you get it when you look at price, house prices um, in the UK, mm. um, that that might be the case. But also, I mean, Sarah's point, to, to women in the UK. You know, this generation, the changeover in terms of pensions, there's a real worry that there's going to be a very big you know, pension deficit for people in the UK. So, yeah, one can see why you should take the good advice.
2: Yeah, definitely worth a read this morning. Let's turn to bring you more on our top story now, that, now though, and that interview that Vladimir Putin gave to the former Fox News presenter Tucker Carlson, our AMEA News Director, Rosalind Matheson, is with us for more in studio. Ros, good morning. This is the first time the Russian president has spoken to a figure in the Western media since the 2022 invasion of Ukraine. Now, Tucker Carlson is a Donald Trump supporter. He's questioned American support for Kyiv. Why did Vladimir Putin choose to speak to him and, and why now?
3: Well, obviously, it was interesting to see that it was Tucker Carlson who spoke to because that allowed him to talk about history essentially for 50 minutes uh, unfettered before he came into questioning. Uh, as to why now, of course, uh, Vladimir Putin's coming up for re-election fairly soon. And while that's not really in doubt, uh, the Russian media has been a frequent player of Tucker Carlson's clips uh, domestically because it does tend to paint Vladimir Putin in a favourable or question at least the US uh, support for for Ukraine in its war against Russia. So you can imagine that some of this could be for a domestic audience, uh, using this to burnish uh, Vladimir Putin's credentials, uh, his standing on the international stage uh, to the Russian voter. So that's possibly right now. Also, he seems to be feeling fairly upbeat, shall we say. I mean, cast it back to two years ago in the, in the aftermath of his invasion of Ukraine. Ukraine it was going terribly. I I mean, they failed to take Kiev. They were pushed back very quickly. There were lots of big questions about how long his war could sustain. It's coming up to you know to the third year. Uh, they haven't taken Kiev, but they've carved out a huge amount of territory really from Ukraine in the south and the east. Uh, we know that there are uh, problems within uh, the administration in Ukraine. Uh, Zelensky, the president, essentially had to fire his army chief yesterday. Uh, perhaps he's seizing the moment. Um, he He's also, you know, looking at fissures between Ukraine and Europe and Ukraine and the US over the supply of weapons. Um, so perhaps it's a moment uh, to talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, but as you say, perhaps um, pointing to
1: its uses in domestic propaganda, but Putin, when he was questioned, what did he actually say about the war in Ukraine and,
3: and the possibility of it ending? Well, he repeated what he says quite often, which is that his goals have not been achieved in Ukraine. Um, that's a fairly standard line. But he did seem to, to try and uh, stick a wedge, a further wedge between the US and Ukraine. Of course, we know that there are big debates in Congress about the supply of further military aid, particularly to Ukraine. Ukraine is warning they're running out of ammunition. They need this stuff urgently. Uh, he was saying essentially that if the US stops supplying weapons to Ukraine, he may think about negotiating. Or, or having talks and really putting the onus there on the US and Ukraine. Of course, there's no sign that Vladimir Putin is serious about intending to negotiate. And, and the US has been a staunch supporter overall of Ukraine. Um, but it seems to be perhaps about trying to exploit some of those little fissures that we're seeing with Ukraine. Um, is he really serious about negotiating? Probably not anytime soon.
2: And um, another story, Roz, that we wanted to touch on with you as well is in regards to the US election. President Biden criticising a Justice Department report which which questioned his memory and his mental acuity. How serious an issue is this for the election campaign?
3: Well, this could arguably be one of the the worst weeks yet for Joe Biden, and we're months away from the election. Um, He's had a repeated series of gas where he's mixed up former leaders of Germany, France, and now in the very press conference where he was defending his ability to to be president um, and his mental capacity, he mixed up the leaders of Egypt and Mexico on his way out the door, um, which kind of overshadow what was quite a forceful press conference from him defending, again, his record, um, his mental acuity. And so that's really just going to be red meat in a way for the Republicans, particularly Donald Trump, the likely candidate. Although Joe Biden and Donald Trump are not that different in age. It's just that, you know, being president and having these moments, it really just plays into that narrative where Donald Trump calls him Sleepy Joe uh, and questioning his ability.
1: Yeah. Ross, thank you so much for being with us this morning. IEMEA News Director Rosalind Matheson there uh, with, well, all the details around and Vladimir Putin's interview and President Joe Biden.
0: Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors Inc. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you?
2: I'm going to turn to talk about something that we don't often feature on this show, American Football mm-hmm. Ahead of Sunday Super Bowl. Bloomberg's been looking at the changing ownership of NFL teams and how private equity could be about to enter the game. Bloomberg's Charlie Wells joins us with more details of today's big take report. Charlie, what's causing, first of all, what's been called a succession crisis in the National Football League?
4: Yeah, look. So I am not necessarily the most natural American football fan, but this is a really, really fascinating, fascinating development. And what really is an American institution, and look, you know, football might not be everyone's game of tea, but this is the only sport in the United States that can bring together 100 million viewers to, to watch, you know, a single event. And what's really fascinating is... Both age and appreciation are changing America's National Football League and creating something of a crisis. So if you look at you know, how much these football teams are worth, they are worth billions. They have appreciated in value on average about 69% between just 2020 and 2023. The average team value is now about $5 billion. But you've got to remember that the National Football League is very different from other sports leagues in that it is very much a family run sort of business and the owners of a number of these leagues, um, is growing. So, you know, the average age of the league's 32 principal owners is 72 and seven of the principal owners are 80 or older. And then when you think about that, you've got the appreciation of these teams. You've also got the family ownership structure. That means that as they age, they want to pass on these teams, but they're facing mm. huge tax liabilities. Um, and that's creating this crisis.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, the merchandising, the tickets, it's, it is a big money game. Why do you think private equity is so interested then in investing in football teams?
4: Yeah, it's really interesting. And so this kind of takes from the kind of standard private equity playbook, if you if you kind of think about it, right? They look at, at, at many times for these sort of mom and pop businesses that are kind of, you know, incredibly profitable, that generate lots of revenue, but that maybe have some leadership issues, but that maybe need some extra capital. Um, and that seems to be what's going on here, Right um but what's you know really striking is that this kind of this level of family ownership certain rules have prevented certain investors including private equity from coming on board um, but that that certainly could change. Um, it, and it's really hard for a lot of these investors to look away from the profits here, right? So the National Football League was responsible for 93 of the 100 most watched TV broadcasts last year and brought in about $20 billion in revenue. So you've got kind of conflicting tensions there.
1: Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I'm Caroline Hepke.
2: And I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day. Right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe.